Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 162, 162. Ooh. Bienvenidos, bitches. Buiti, And thank you so much for listening. Yeah. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cis, white dudes. What? No. There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. Have you heard of these podcasts? Anyway, we will take <laughs> deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist. Allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a black Latinx woman. And I'm Beth, and I just happen to be white. It's not her fault, and she <laughs> is an accomplice, y'all. <laughs> we are not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all our social media. Hey, we're on TikTok now. Also, the footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops Patreon. Yeah. You can also support us by supporting our sponsors. Yes, please support our sponsors. Please do. So who are we talking about today, Beth? Well, this is part two of our episode on Samuel Little, mm. a serial killer who confessed to having committed 93 murders between 1970 and 2005, at least 50 of which have been verified by law enforcement. So if you're just joining us today, go on back and listen to part one, and we'll meet you right back here. All right. So before we get into this part two... How you doing? I'm all right. Uh, status quo. Nothing new to report, really. It's hot. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And Phoenix. Hot as shit. Yeah. yeah. We're in the thick of it now. Mm, um, no monsoons for relief? No. Not yet? No Not rain? Yet. Um, sprinkling here and there, but uh, at least where I live. You know mm. how the monsoons are. It's... You know, sometimes it'll be raining in the North Valley and nothing over here. So, yeah. 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 I, I remember. I remember those days. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, good thing you've got a pool. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, otherwise you would be done. You'd yeah. be dead. Yeah. Well, I spent a lot of time inside and there you kinda, go. Kind of boring, though. Um, agree to disagree. Uh <laughs> 
if if COVID has taught me anything, it's that I love being inside my house, not going anywhere, not doing not anything, and not anybody. seeing yeah. anybody. I would like to go out and hike or something, though. That would be nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is awful hot to do that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Even Golly. in the morning. You can't yeah. even get up early in the morning to do anything. Yeah, and there's no not. relief at night. Like, yeah. at night, it's still 100 degrees. Yeah. yeah. Oh, girl. <laughs> but I'll survive. Been living here for, what, 40 years or something, so. Oh, so be this all isn't right. your first rodeo. No. <laughs> this isn't your first trip in hell. <laughs> no, but uh, I, I just, not not a fan. Not my favorite time of year. Mm, I feel you. Well, it's summer here as well. Yeah. Um, my mom, who's a teacher, is on summer break, so she was in town. Oh, nice. And uh, we went and visited the home where Martin Luther King was born Whoa, in Atlanta, that's which was so fucking cool. awesome. Yeah. Yes. We also went to Stone Mountain. Now, I remember <laughs> I said at one point I would never yep. go to Stone yep. Mountain, <laughs> but it was really cool because we went to this place um because Stone Mountain is the largest Confederate monument in the United States. Right. I think it's bigger than Stonehenge. Oh. Which isn't a Confederate monument, but that's what they say when you <laughs> ride up the mountain. Anyway, uh, they have this um, historic um, square, historic something. But it's um, an exhibit that includes Southern style homes before the antebellum. Oh, so it's um, like before a living, the Civil living War. history museum. It is a living history museum. And they put, they brought in homes from all over Georgia, old homes that were going to be torn down or whatever, and filled it with antiques from the time period. One of the homes did have like original pieces. So it was cool to see. And they did have include enslaved people's quarters. Oh, wow. Um, as part of um, the homes. And there was two right. of them. Um, so we all got to see that. And it was just really, really really cool to see um, the history. I've been to a plantation before, but my mom hasn't. I don't think old Whitey has before. My kids definitely hadn't. So it was really cool to see um, kind of their reactions to all right, this stuff. Right. They were like, what's that pot? Oh, <laughs> that's a chamber that's pot. You, you go pee pee in, in it <laughs> at nighttime. <laughs> and they were like horrified. <laughs> but they weren't horrified <laughs> about the slavery part yet. But wow. and then I, like the tour, the tour guides were like, oh, this is um, this is where the master lived in the home. And I was like, oh, I bet you this is where he raped all of his enslaved women <laughs> with impunity. <laughs> and the face on this tour guide's her face, what she was like, if you would have thought I like pulled my pants down oh, and went her, she was shocked. <laughs> anyway, added, added to my list of greatest hits of making people uncomfortable. Again. Right on. <laughs> so you go, girl. <laughs> So um, now we're going to get into some listener letters. Okay. <laughs> well, hello, angels. Oh, I love Thank that sound. You. It's so sweet. Such a sweet sound. Yes, it mm. is. What's in the bag, Beth? Well, uh, not so sweet. They handed me this fucking empty bag. No! <laughs> Well, we don't we don't have anything in the bag, but probably because we're on break. So yeah, now that we're back, uh, send us send us some emails. Fill it up, fill it up, y'all. We're here. Yeah. Um. And by the way, I hope that while we were on our break, that you enjoyed our break episodes where we got to feature some of our true crime pals. Yeah. Um. In the space. So um. Shout out to everybody who helped helped us put that together. Yeah. Um. So uh. But we we do have some new patrons. Right. Um, Shout out to Joyce and Eggy. If I'm pronouncing Eggy wrong, I'm sorry. I wrote a whole song for you. So, uh, <laughs> so apologies right. in advance if it's terrible. <laughs> so here are your tunes, y'all. And you know you are right. And you know you must fight. Who's laughing, baby? Don't you know? And the choice that we make and the choice we will take. Use laughing, baby. Joyce is a Patreon. <laughs> Joyce is a Patreon. 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 Anyway, that's my Michael Jackson impression. Right and that is for you, my girl, Joyce. Thank you so much for supporting our show. Yeah, Yikes. thank you. All right. Uh, and Eggy, this is for you. Eggy, 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 Eggy. Now, baby, you've cast your spell on me. That's all I got. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Joyce and Eggy. Thank y'all. So now we're going to take a quick break and get into the story when we come back. Hey, 
through terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, (laughs) but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. Swing low, sweet, sweet chariot. Come, come for, for to carry me home. <laughs> Just warming up the base over, the, over here. All right, we're back. So remind us, Beth, who's our subject again? Our subject is Samuel Little, a black man and the most prolific serial killer in U.S. history that we know of. Yeah, I think there's this joke like black people can't be serial killers because the moment they killed one person, the police would arrest them. But Samuel Little takes that trope and just turns smushes it, it yeah. shoots, <laughs> throws it to the ground, smushes it with a big old boot and and sets it ablaze it's just (laughs) not true when it comes to sam little and many of the cases that we cover but um before we jump back into the timeline here is a recap of what we talked about last week hit it beth samuel little was born in georgia in 1940 but he was brought up in lorraine ohio his mother bessie may little was 16 when she gave birth to samuel his father was a 19 year old named paul mcdowell who it appears wasn't involved in his life much, if at all. Little was brought up by his paternal grandmother, Fannie Mae McDowell, and he started going, getting into trouble when he was a teenager, spending some time in a youth authority. That's prison uh, for yeah, young for people. For young people, yeah. Uh, and my dad went to the California Youth Authority. Oh, wow. Anyway, uh, then later in the Ohio State Reformatory. He never graduated high school and he lived a nomadic life going from state to state and city to city, sometimes living out of his car. Samuel Little grew to be six foot three and it's been remarked that he had very large hands, which were perfect for strangling. My Samuel, what large... I got to stop doing that joke. It's only funny to me. I'm sorry. No, it's funny. Like I tell my grandson, it's only funny like the first or second time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grandma's right. Grandma's right on this one. So Little committed his first confirmed murder on New Year's Day in 1971, strangling Mary Brosley to death near the Florida Everglades, where he buried her in a shallow grave. Between 1957 and 1975, Little, who sometimes went by the name Samuel McDowell, was arrested by police officers 26 times in 11 states, including Ohio, Maryland, Florida, Massachusetts, California, Oregon, Philadelphia, New Jersey, Arizona, 
Illinois and Georgia. I don't know why I said it like yeah, that. Yeah, you get it. What is that accent? I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's like it's a. Wendy. It's like a, a Catherine O'Hare on um, Shit's Creek. Oh yeah, it's oh, just like a baby. I like this having a baby. Like the accent is like yeah, yeah, just made up. Yeah, exactly. Charges included shoplifting, theft, assault, rape, aggravated assault on a police officer, DUI, fraud, breaking and entering, and solicitation. During his stints in the penitentiary, he started boxing and he learned to draw. In 1971, he met a woman named Aurelia Jean Dorsey. Um, She was good at shoplifting and the two took up together, though Jean was 30 years his senior. She would steal things and he would sell them and that's how they were able to get by. As they traveled from state to state, Little and Dorsey settled into a routine. After Dorsey went to bed, Little went out to hunt for victims. Although it appears as though Dorsey was either consciously or unconsciously unaware of his favorite pastime. She knew. <laughs> now, he, he and we'll get into it. I found an interesting fact about right. how it was right. clear that she did know. So he lured women with promises of money and drugs. Um, and I should dr- also say doing drugs. He was doing drugs and drinking a lot, too, during yeah. this yeah. entire period. Um, his MO was to sucker punch the victim, stunning them, then strangle her to death. He really enjoyed strangling women. Yeah. And without any obvious signs of trauma, such as stabbing or gunshot wounds, many of the deaths um, by the Basuda medical examiners were attributed to drug overdoses, accidents and natural causes. Little chose to kill marginalized and vulnerable women who were often involved in sex work, struggling with poverty and addiction. His victims were mostly black women as well as white women, and some of the victims were trans women. Their bodies sometimes went unidentified and their deaths uninvestigated. So now we're going to hop on back into the timeline. So Little was arrested for the murder of Mindy LaPree and the assault of the two sex workers. But the grand jury declined to indict him for Mindy's murder. It is believed that the grand jurors failed to indict in part due to the victim and witnesses working in the sex trade. And I also thought that uh, this seemed to happen a lot where he'd end up oh, in yeah. court uh-huh. and the victims weren't the perfect victims. Right. So, right. so then he would get it. lighter sentences or yeah. um, he would get off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Little did remain in custody and he was extradited to Florida to be tried in the case of yet another murdered woman. On September 12, 1982, the body of Patricia Ann Mount, a 26-year-old cognitively disabled woman, had been found in rural Forest Grove, Florida, near Gainesville. Eyewitnesses described last seeing her leaving a tavern with a man identified as Little in a wood-paneled station wagon. So, quick note about the station wagon in which Jean Dorsey and Little traveled. Um, Dorsey would clean the car mm-hmm. of you know the night the 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 next morning after right. little returned she would clean it fr- clean the blood any shit teeth hair or jewelry or any evidence um left behind that morning um, wow. when little would return and specifically after the murder of patricia mount dorsey mentioned to danny beckless who was a 19 year old boy who traveled with dorsey and little for a minute um that on that morning the station wagon was particularly hard to clean out following the brutal murder of patricia wow that's yeah. nuts mm-hmm According to the Gainesville Sun, a fiber analyst testified that hairs found on Patricia's clothes, quote, had the same characteristics as head hairs taken from Little, unquote. But when cross-examined, the analyst said, quote, it was also possible for hairs to be transferred if two people just bumped together, unquote. A jury acquitted Little in January of 1984. Also, hairs... Junk science. But this was the it was the 80s. You know, that guy on TikTok was like, because it was the 90s in the modulated (laughs) voice. Do you know what I'm talking about? I haven't. I don't know. He's really funny. He tells (laughs) stories, but it's it's all auto tunes. And it's he just sings the guy who's the ghost tooth one. I love him. (laughs) Maybe it is. (laughs) He tells a story about how he had uh, a tooth. He had to have a tooth implanted or something, and they used a bone from a, a cadaver bone. Oh my! In goodness. his jaw, and uh, he was asking who was the cadaver, and they were like, "Uh, we we can't disclose that information." And he, he I can't remember what name he chose, but he chose a name for the person. It was like, I don't know. Yes, that is <laughs> the ghost or something. guy. And then he's his- like, and now I have a ghost in my mouth. 
Yes. Yeah, he, I love it him. It is him. His name is Kevin James Thornton. Anyway, I, I love him as well. And he's always like, it was, it was the 90s. And it, but in this case, it was the 80s. Okay. So in, in October of 1984, Little was back in custody, this time in San Diego. Two sex workers had been assaulted a month apart. They had been driven to the same abandoned dirt lot, assaulted and choked. The first woman was left for dead on a pile of trash, but she survived. The second woman was in a car with Little when patrol officers came across them and Little was arrested. So they caught him red handed. Yeah. Didn't he? It wasn't he like, oh, it's my wife. Yeah. And uh, and they were like, like, okay. Yeah. (laughs) And, And then and then they're like, this is clearly not his wife. So they're taking him to the station and he's like how is the bitch you know oh, like just geez. real evil and stuff oh, God. um and uh i guess he was characterizing it as consensual sex in which she cheated him then she attacked him and he was just defending oh, right, himself right right yeah. Um, the, I'm just defending myself. I'm just defending myself. Yeah. I, yeah. And uh, that's not true. And yeah. this man is terrible. <laughs> the two cases were tried jointly, but the jury failed to reach a verdict, in part because Jean Dorsey testified for Little and claimed that they had not been in San Diego when the first assault took place. Little then took a deal, pleading guilty to lesser charges of assault with great bodily injury and false imprisonment. He served about 2.5 years on a four-year sentence, and in February 1987, he was released on parole. So um, Dorsey, Jean Dorsey, right. um, testified that they were together, and she was frequently, like, she was she was a reliable um, travel companion because right. she was so good at shoplifting. But she was also a useful alibi. Yeah. So whenever she, he she needed an alibi, alibi yeah, yeah, she would, she was like, I got you. Yeah. Um, so Little then moved to Los Angeles uh, in L.A. at this time. There were numerous serial killers operating at the same time. And this is also during the crack cocaine epidemic and the war on drugs of communities of color. On July 13th, 1987, Carol Alford, 41, was found dead in a South L.A. alley. In 1988, Little's longtime companion, Jean Dorsey, died of a brain hemorrhage in Los Angeles. Not much is known about Jean, including how her death affected Little. Some reports say that he was physically abusive towards Jean. Yeah, and I just brought that up because one source said, did she die because of the abuse that right. he... Um, and I, I don't know if we, yeah. we, we can know that, but yeah, um, she was almost 80 years old. So yeah. Yeah. All right. There's that. Um, so on August 14th, 1989, Audrey Nelson, who was 35, was found dead, curled up in a fetal position in a dumpster behind a Chinese restaurant. And on September 3rd, 1989, Guadalupe Apodaca, 46, was found dead by a nine-year-old boy in an abandoned commercial garage in South L.A. All three of the women were murdered in Los Angeles and had been manually strangled. On February 2nd, 1994, the body of a woman was found by a Coca-Cola bottling company employee in Odessa, Texas, as he was backing up in an empty lot. She was identified as Denise Christie Brothers, 38, who had been reported missing on January 1st. Denise got married at 15 to a violent man. She escaped that marriage and married a second time to a man who became addicted to heroin. She eventually developed her own addiction. Two more marriages and four children later, she was living out of a motel and resorted to sex work in order to survive. Denise was found partially nude, lying half on her side, face to the sky arm wedged under her at an odd angle, less than a mile from where she was reported to have been last seen. Mm. An autopsy would later reveal that she'd been strangled. Detective Sergeant Snow Robertson, who investigated Denise's murder, was the exception to detectives who dismissed the murders of marginalized women. Wow, shout out, shout out to mm-hmm. uh, Detective Robertson. He worked her case, even insisting that the hyoid bone be x-rayed to check for fractures, which it turns out there were. He called the Texas Rangers and interviewed every sex worker he could. And a couple of nights a week, Robertson would spend a few hours filling out forms on his homicide cases and mailing them to VICAP, the Violent Criminal Apprehension Program, a national information sharing database. The The database enables local police to enter detailed findings about violent crimes that can then be compared with other cases nationwide. Robertson entered Denise's case into VICAP. Well done. Now, between 1990 and 2006, Little continued to encounter law enforcement in seven different states for DUI, burglary, larceny, theft, and shoplifting, among other charges. In 2007, Little was arrested for possession of cocaine in Los Angeles. He pleaded guilty and was sentenced to 
a drug diversion program. <laughs> and I guess he had all these aliases. So maybe they, did, they didn't realize that Little was really um, also Sam McDowell. Also, I forgot all the AKA, AKAs right. we listed in, in part one, but he had a lot of AKAs. Yeah. Anyway, he failed to attend or appear in court to report his progress. A judge issued a bench warrant, but it was non-extraditable. Between 2007 and 2012, Little had about a dozen contacts with law enforcement officers in different places, some of whom found the outstanding warrant, but because it was non-extraditable, authorities let him go. Wow. Uh, I'm blown away. Yeah. Uh, so the, and, and wasn't that a violent crime? Oh no, it was cocaine. Yeah, it but was still, just a drug charge. Uh, wow. So anyway, now we're going to get into the investigation and the arrest. So in April of 2012, LAPD detective Mitzi Roberts got a DNA match on her, on the murder cases of Audrey Nelson and Guadalupe Apodaca, meaning both were killed by the same individual. Detective Roberts is the inspiration for the character Renee Ballard in Michael Connelly's best selling novels. The guy who wrote the books that were turned into the TV show, Bosch. Whoa. Yeah. And she's a woman of color, y'all. Yeah. So anyway, the DNA was then matched to Sam Little, whose DNA had been gathered during the investigation in San Diego. Roberts got a warrant for Little's arrest, but had no idea where he was. From her office in L.A., where interest in catching Little was starting to wane among some of her supervisors, Roberts continued to track his movements through the Midwest and Southeast. In the meantime, Little was arrested on May 1st, 2012 in Lake Charles, Louisiana for possession of a crack pipe, but was released with an upcoming court date. Detective Roberts learned that Little was using a prepaid benefits card, so she called the card company's hotline and was able to get a list of his recent transactions. His last five purchases had all been at the same store a block or two away from the Wayside Christian Mission Shelter in Louisville, Kentucky. Within hours, Little was found and arrested at the shelter where he'd got been, him. Yep, got Sorry. him. <laughs> where he'd been living for a few weeks. In October 2012, he was extradited to L.A. During his interview with police, Little said he didn't recognize the two murdered L.A. women, but DNA had already connected him to the crimes. In November of 2012, Little was sentenced to three years in California on the outstanding narcotics warrant. Meanwhile, police began investigating to see if he was connected to any other cases, and they got a third DNA match to Little on the murder of Carol Alford. In January of 2013, Little was charged with three counts of murder in Los Angeles. He pleaded not guilty. In one interview, he said, quote, I just be in the wrong place at the wrong time with people, unquote. Sure, Sam, sure. Sam, sit down somewhere. Get out of here. So <laughs> at the time of Little's arrest, Detective Roberts suspected him of many more killings across the country, those whose murders were not thoroughly investigated. She believed it was because Little preyed on, quote, unquote, the less dead, a term coined for the murders of marginalized people including sex workers, drug addicts, transients, and people of color. Over his lifetime, Little had served fewer than 10 years in prison, though he had amassed nearly 100 arrests in numerous states over more than 50 years. The charges included kidnapping, rape, and armed robbery. AM, the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the matrix, cult leaders, missing 411, night marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian devil worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. 
At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at KillerPodcast.com. So now we're going to talk about Little's trial and the confessions, which is a big part of the story. So in 2014, Little was tried for the murders of Audrey Nelson, Guadalupe Apodaca, and Carol Alford. He asserted his innocence throughout his trial, but he was convicted and sentenced to two life terms without parole. Wow. Yeah. In 2018, because Detective Robertson had entered Denise Christie Brothers' case into VICAP, the FBI flagged her as a possible victim of Little. A Texas Ranger named James Holland traveled to California to interview Little about the 1994 murder of Denise Brothers in Odessa, Texas. He was assisted by FBI analysts Christy Palazzolo and Angela Williamson. Armed with information about Little and his crimes provided by the FBI, Holland succeeded in winning Little's confidence, and that interview resulted in a series of confessions and near-daily discussions. Little, who was in his 70s and in poor health, offered his confessions as a bargaining chip to be moved from Los Angeles County Prison where he was being held. He apparently didn't like it there. So, manipulation much? Yeah, yeah. So after authorities agreed to take the death penalty off the table and transfer him to a prison in Texas, he began to talk. The confessions, which often included a level of detail and recall that authorities say was uncanny, spurred investigators from Florida to California to review old murder cases. He confessed to dozens of murders in 20 different states since 1970. He went through city and state and gave Ranger Holland the number of women he killed in each place. Investigators worked to match up evidence to as many confessions as they could. Little remembered his victims and the killings in great detail. He remembered where he was and what car he was driving. Beth Karras, a former prosecutor and investigative journalist, said, quote, It's not just the faces. He remembers little things about each victim. One had a limp. Another had a teenage daughter. He can picture the crime scenes and his victims in photographic detail, unquote. And according to Bob LaPree, Mindy LaPree's brother, he was told by detectives that the reason he remembered things in such great detail is because he relived them for his own self-gratification. Gross. And if you watch w- one of the documentaries that I know is in our sources, he one of the detectives talking to him noticed that he little was getting aroused, aroused yeah. when recounting so gross. Uh, a story. Yeah. yeah. Little said he made the encounters as, quote, long and slow as possible, unquote, often letting his victims repeatedly regain consciousness before strangling them again. He said, quote, it was like drugs. I came to like it, unquote, which is just sick. He's a sick. I know. What drugs are? Yeah. Please tell me. Now, yeah. Little confessed to a total of 93 killings between 1970 and 2005. People were skeptical at first um, for a number of reasons, which I'll get into in my takes. But Little's favorite pastime was drawing, which he learned to do during prison stints. So he was asked to draw his victims' portraits but from memory in order to get them identified. He drew pictures of many of the women that he killed. He said, quote, I live in my mind now with my babies in my drawings. The only things I was ever good at was drawing and fighting, unquote. Mm. Now, he was less reliable when it came to remembering dates. So authorities pieced together a 24-page timeline tracking Little's activity across the country since his birth. His rap sheet helped them pinpoint his location, sometimes on a monthly basis. Law enforcement agencies began cross-referencing that timeline with cold case murders in their states. Little was indicted for the murder of Denise Brothers and extradited temporarily to Texas a few months later. Why would you want to go to Texas from L.A.? I don't know. <laughs> that's a good that's a good question. I mean, they I, kill people there. Yeah. <laughs> one of I the, mean, they, they do it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the guys on the doc, one of the documentaries that I watched said uh, he took a little vacation to Texas. <laughs> Oh, (laughs) yeah. I don't know. Maybe we just wanted to go somewhere. 
Who knows? Mm. But the FBI began working with the Department of Justice's Bureau of Justice Assistance, the Texas Rangers, and dozens of state and local agencies to match Little's confessions and drawings with evidence from women who were murdered in states all across the country between 1970 and 2005. Little told investigators about killing a woman in the Knoxville area that he remembered only as Martha. Authorities were unable to match the name with a murder victim. They eventually thought to look into the deaths of women who were not believed to have been murdered and came across the case of Martha Cunningham. This took the investigation in a new direction as they began searching for other victims like Martha. Yeah, women who whose deaths were dismissed, not investigated. You know, they were right. like, oh, it was natural. It must even have been though, a drug overdose. Yeah, yeah, even though they have no clothes on and, you know, were right. visibly, you know, uh, strangled. Beaten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well done, guys. And like <laughs> I said, the uh, there's a problem with Emmys. First of all, there's a shortage. Second of all, they're not all qualified. Um, and they make mistakes. Yeah. And uh, so this is a so there this is an example of that. Yeah. yeah. According to the FBI, because Little strangled his victims and there were no stab or bullet wounds, local police often chalked the deaths up to overdose without even ordering an investigation or an autopsy, even mm. though there were clear and obvious signs to the cause of death when somebody is strangled. Also, le- Little left DNA at many of his crime scenes, but because their deaths were blamed on their lifestyles, this evidence was not always collected. VICAP crime analyst Christy Palazzolo said, quote, For many years, Samuel Little believed he would not be caught because he thought no one was accounting for his victims, unquote. I'm glad he was wrong. Well, for a long time, he was right. For a long time, he was right. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Many of the victims were vulnerable women. Most of them were black and many were poor. Some were estranged from family members or living far from relatives, and some were isolated, users of drugs or alcohol or sex workers. In many cases, their deaths did not draw the same level of attention and outrage as other killings. This was all part of the plan for Sam Little. He said, quote, they was broke and homeless and they walked right into my spider web. Ooh, that's horrifying. That's mm-hmm. chilling. I can go into my world and do what I want to do. I won't go into your world. I don't go fucking around out there with the people that would be immediately missed and very important to either family or businesses or somebody. I'm not going over there in a white neighborhood and pick out a little young teenage girl like the weirdies do, unquote. <laughs> the weirdies. weirdies. Mm. There's this weirdie calling okay. other people weirdies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. Talk about the calling the kettle black, little. What? <laughs> Despite the fact that his semen was found on some of the women's nude bodies or clothing, Little took great offense at being called a rapist. Mm -hmm. He was okay with being a murderer, but not a rapist. As to why he killed the women, according to Little, quote, God put him on this earth to do what he was doing, unquote. Interesting perspective. Mm-hmm. I, I it reminds guess... me of that uh, documentary Unseen, mm-hmm. where that uh, the guy in the convenience store was basically like, "Yeah, he was just taking out the trash." Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I do remember that. I do remember that. Um, and so I think he viewed uh, these women as disposable. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. Um, and when you don't view human beings as human, yeah, doesn't that make you a psychopath? Yep. <laughs> okay. I get all the points. Ding, now, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I win. Where's my prize? So Little claimed that his final victim was a woman that he strangled in Tupelo, Mississippi. Investigators suspect this victim was Nancy C. Stevens, whose body was found on the side of the road in August 2005. The FBI confirmed Little's involvement in at least 50 murders and described all of his other claims as quote-unquote Incredible. In 2018, Little pleaded guilty to the murder of Denise Brothers, avoiding the death penalty with his plea deal in exchange for giving full confessions. He was sent back to L.A. to serve out the rest of his time. In October 2019, the FBI confirmed Little to be the most prolific serial killer in United States history. Again, that we know of. Okay, so now we're going to get into where are they now? Well, I'll tell you, he is D-E-A-D dead. (laughs) Samuel Little died on December 30th, 2020 in a California prison at the age of 80. 2020, what a hell of a year. Yeah. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me (laughs) COVID-19. 
<laughs> and a dead serial killer named Sam. Yeah, great. Yeah, so, that was a great. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, no cause of death has been reported, but Little suffered from diabetes, heart problems, and other conditions. Plus, being a terrible human being, yeah. I think that rots you from the inside out. Yeah, but he lived to be too. I mean, he lived to be eighty. What the fuck? Ah, yeah. Yeah, karma. Karma was a little slow on that one. Yeah, 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 for sure. Bob Laprie says that he's let go of the anger he harbored towards authorities, thanks to the cold case investigators who worked relentlessly to solve his sister Mindy's killing. Jesse Lane Downs, Martha Cunningham's sister, said that she is still pained that the case was closed so quickly all those years ago. She said, quote, the police department did not ask the family any questions or anything when this happened. They could have settled this and look at all the people that got killed. Unquote. She's Massive not wrong. failure. Yeah. She, yeah, absolutely. Um, there were 93 victims and about 60 have been identified. The FBI urged anyone with information related to Little's confessions to contact the FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI or submit a tip online at tips.fbi.gov. Um, the photos of the victims are also available on the FBI's website. But it should be noted, I thought this was interesting, that some of the drawings are not necessarily accurate depictions of what the victims look like. Many have been identified with with the, the help of the photos, but right. they're not identical. Many of them are um, representations of how little himself wanted to remember them. Right, so right. Um, something to keep in mind. But now we're going to get into what we think made him snap as well as our takeaways. So what are your thoughts, Beth? How do you feel about this one? What's going on? Talk to me. Well, I think you're right. Uh, this guy was truly a psychopath. Yes. No, I mean, not that he's a psychopath, but that I got something right. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> I screwed up so many things today that to get one thing right feels great. The way that he talked about his victims, saying that he loved them and calling yeah. him them his babies, mm-hmm. um, but they were just possessions to him to be used mm-hmm. for his own gratification and then mm-hmm. killed, you yeah. know? He quote-unquote loved them because he was able to use them and have memories of their murders to go back to whenever he wanted. Um, Sick. Very selfish kind of quote-unquote love. Yeah. (laughs) And it's really, really chilling to hear him talk. It it was so gross. Yeah. So what made him a psychopath? I don't know. Um, His early childhood definitely did not help. Mm-hmm. He obviously had a lot of anger towards women, probably in part because his mother abandoned him. Absolutely. Um, but maybe there were other reasons, too. I don't know. It's possible that he did not have a good relationship with his grandmother. Um, mm-hmm. No article that I read mentioned anything about that. So who knows? OK. OK. He was incarcerated beginning at the age of 13, which did not Pretty help. Young. Yeah. yeah. Um, he obviously needed some help, uh, mental health help, but yeah. that was 1953 and there weren't a lot of options available for mental health and especially not for people without means and people of color. And right. even then what was available was often uh, kind of wackadoodle. <laughs> yeah. I think we might even consider the way we treated like neurodivergence or ADD or ADD back then as like almost barbaric. Yeah. You know, it was, um, um, so it we was. have come a yeah. long way in that regard, but right. obviously where we are now didn't serve the child that little was. No, no. And uh, who knows what happened to him when he was incarcerated? Um, Ooh, you know, lots of mm-hmm. bad things can happen. Um, mm-hmm. I would venture to guess nothing good. Uh-huh. But he did learn to draw. Yeah, he learned to draw <laughs> in the box. Yeah. <laughs> he dropped out of school in junior high. So as an uneducated black man, there was probably not a lot of job options available to him. Right. All of these things probably contributed to his outcome. And how he got away with it for so long has already been talked about. His method of murder, strangling, Mm -hmm. his Mm -hmm. choice of victim, marginalized women, and his nomadic lifestyle, never never staying anywhere for very long. And uh, this really sounds like a playbook for serial murder. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. Just remember, we now have DNA, so this wouldn't work as well for a serial killer today. Not at all. Not at all. So just don't. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Noted. That says don't do it. So I'm not going to. Don't serial kill. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. With all the cases we've covered, I would say that what most serial killers have in common are lives that begin with feeling neglected, unwanted, or abandoned, Mm -hmm. and shitty childhoods full of neglect and or abuse. Right. Um, And this is just my opinion, but with Mm. Roe versus Wade being repealed, 
Yeah. We can probably look forward to seeing more of these kinds of men coming into fruition in the next uh, few decades. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, yeah, because I remember that being one of the theories in the Freakonomics documentary yeah. is how crime went down 20 to 30 years after, after Roe v. Roe Wade. V. Yeah. 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 And it, it, it makes sense because um, children who are not wanted are not going to be treated well. I mean, uh, okay, so can't say all of them won't be treated well, but there there will be a lot of them who are not treated. Yeah. Well, know? yeah, and it's it's not just the it's it's the the impact is one I I, I am terrified to consider because it's not it's it's so much bigger than just the child and just the the mother. It's the, the impact that that has on people's ability everyone entire community for our whole uh, society yeah 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 so um thank you for sharing your your thought on that yeah i i can see it and uh yeah yeah, i'm glad you said that but uh, one solution if you're opposed to legalizing abortion would Mm -hmm. be to put your time money and effort into supporting more social programs and better mental health care for everyone yeah I've had some arguments in the past few weeks with pro-life folks. Oh, really? <laughs> Not a good idea. But okay. um, <laughs> for a lot of them, it seems like their fight stops at banning abortion. After that, they don't seem concerned with what happens. Um, they oh. blame women for having sex. Okay. Um, and that doesn't really get us anywhere. Um, no. So to stop that. <laughs> no. Right. And it it's not really. matter. It's, it's, it's not, not important, you know? Yeah. And it's not really about. We keep. I think we're having the wrong argument about it. Absolutely. It's not, they're, they're, it's not really this or that. Right. And it's and there. just, I feel like blaming women for having sex is just derailing the argument, you know? Yeah, like sperm, uh, I, I can't generate my own sperm. Also, I heard a really, maybe it was a tweet or a comment on the internet. If I'm pregnant, can I use the carpool lane now? <laughs> oh, yeah, because a lady used that as, a, as an excuse. She got pulled over in the HOV lane Oh, for real? For real. I thought it was a joke. No, I was listening to Boom Lawyered and uh, they talked about it, how uh, this lady argued that, uh, well, a fetus is considered a human being now. So, uh, so yeah, (laughs) now there's two people in the carpool lane. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. That is. I I love that. I love that. So uh, anyway, when you bl- when you're blaming women for having sex, not only does it ju- it just re- derails the conversation, but it also yeah. um it, it's dumb. <laughs> it's, it is. It dumb. is. And little's mom was a young mother's, right? Yeah. So she um, was like and, 16. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and we know that there's going to be babies born who are unwanted mm-hmm. and will feel abandoned, neglected mm-hmm. or brought up in extremely difficult circumstances. Yeah, um, circumstances. And as, as you crucial. said, yeah, as you said, this will have consequences for all of us as mm-hmm. a society, not just the individual women, families, yeah. and babies involved. Right. So if you identify as pro-life now, since, you know, abortion is illegal in half the country, mm-hmm. you can take all that energy you put into repealing Roe versus Wade and focus your energies on on that. Um, yeah. Taking yeah. care of these children. Um, yeah. Actually, we all should. So, yeah, regardless. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, thank you, Beth. Bars. Okay. Yeah, it's just something I've been thinking a lot about. And yeah. Then, and and it just seemed like appropriate. I, we talk, yeah, we we talk about these cases. Like every almost every single one of them had fucked up childhood. So yeah, it, you're absolutely right. It's absolutely it's really right. um, it's really upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, girl. Yeah. I know. I know. I, I'm I'm right there with you. So I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because I really do. I remember being blown away when I saw that Freakonomics documentary and I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Now, I know that there have been other um, economists who've said that that's not true, but I do think that it is a valid argument and something to be considered and anticipate. Yeah. And I think it has to have an effect. Mm -hmm. It has to. Right. Maybe, maybe not as much as you would think, but, Mm -hmm. um, it has to have some effect. Right. And, and, you know, if you bring up the pro-life thing, 
right? Um, think about all the victims that Sam Little had who were whose lives did not matter. And so right. because of these women's quote unquote lifestyles, really they were just trying to survive. Yeah. Um, but you know, where's where's they your pro life? Where's yeah. that energy for, you know, the people, people who are here who yeah. are doing their best yeah. um and end up extremely vulnerable and put right. into positions of being that, victimized their lives in the most horrible too. way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I was just going to say that sometimes I look, I look at some of these cases with people with long rap sheets and overwhelmingly, um, they usually are crimes of survival mm-hmm. and it's seen, we talked about the behavioral issues as a child and, and, um, the researches, resources and intervention just were not there and did not help. Um, his photographic memory is fascinating to me. I wish yeah. I had one. <laughs> I know, me um, too. <laughs> And it was really creepy how he described his victims as his yeah. babies in heaven. And yeah, he claimed, it's almost like he claimed possession over them. Uh, yeah, for um, sure. They were his belongings. And yep. he seemed to relish in being able to overpower the women in life, but also in death and yeah. knowing what happened to them and where they were. And, and was, he was so happy about it. And he, Yeah. And he was, but he was, um, he was using that as like bargaining chips. He was just using that knowledge of these human beings lives and where whereabouts as um, tools to, to better himself, yeah. to get what he wanted. Yeah. He was a, a, a real sick fucking manipulator in that regard. And I, it just, it bothered me. Um, it just bothers me. And I, and I hate him. I hate his yeah, guts. I know. Me too. Um, Gross. His aversion to the classification. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, to the, um, his aversion to the classification of rapist and engaging in sex with women he believed were not worthy um, is also interesting to me. And I'm reminded also of that trope, the myth that black men um, have intense sexual appetites and black men are naturally rapists and naturally sexual predators. So like in the, I think of the movie in birth of a nation right. where white women need to be protected from them at all costs. So maybe that's why he rejected that title. I mean, somebody else mentioned that it might've been because when you're in jail, like the most hated people are rapists and Ooh, pedophiles. That too. Yeah. That too. So that could be Thank a factor you. as well. This is why we have these discussions. Yeah. Um, and then there's also the idea we are what we hate. Um, but sometimes with serial killers, they kill what they hate. Yeah. And his mother um, was a sex worker, he said, who abandoned him. He, he said that that's all per little. Um, also, for many years, it was believed that black people could not possibly be serial killers. Right, right. Because of a lack of intelligence and a lack of cunning. First of all, serial killers are believed to be evil geniuses. We know better. <laughs> yeah. They are not. Yeah. Uh, if and anything, so, most of them have lower intelligence. Lower yeah. intelligence. And um, just, I think, um, he, again, because he was a psychopath. So, like, there was one instance where he um, had just killed a woman and left her body on an embankment or something or by a, like, a, a, by a body of water. And his truck got stuck. The body was still there. He called a tow truck. Oh, my and God. And wasn't nervous or anything about this tow truck seeing right. this dead woman's body. Holy like, shit. he just... Um, or that, so, that he got, the lady went to the house and banged on the door. And uh-huh. the people called the police. And he was just chilling in his truck. Just down. relaxing. Yeah. Yeah. La, 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 la. Yeah. And <laughs> so I think I think that, like, anybody else would be nervous. And maybe our, our bot, our, uh, uh, maybe, I, don't, I hate to use the word normal, but in a normal situation, we would get nervous and give away the fact that we did something really right. wrong. And there's no giveaway. Yeah. Or tell. They yeah. don't get so nervous. That, That's yeah. why they can beat um, lie detector tests. Man. See, it's not really a superpower, but it kind of is. Kind of is, yeah. I kind of wish I had it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> not, the, the not getting nervous part. Right, right. <laughs> so um, they're really not more intelligent than the rest of us. It's just I think that aspect of not getting nervous and giving yourself away really m- makes it easy to move on to the next one and get away. Right. Um, so and he was a malignant, narcissistic psychopath. Um, yeah. who for many reasons got away with murder for a very long time. Um, and, uh, it is almost cliche to give him the title of most prolific serial killer. That's all we hear about Sam Little. Right. And the, this episode is, is 
into two parts, but there are other really great podcasts out there that talk about just the victims. And so I, I'll, I'll, I'll shout them out at the end, but there, there, there are so many victims that I don't want them to go, to go, to be forgotten. Unrecognized. Yeah. Unrecognized. So about the victims, most of them were black. Most were impoverished. Many were sex workers, many engaged in drugs um, and were marginalized. Um, and Mindy is a, one of the, a good example we talked about, I think, in the first part. Um, and uh, some of his uh, victims were also LGBTQ youth, basically people um, who were no longer safe at home yeah. and had to flee and ended up in these worlds where they were preyed upon. Um, when they were really just trying to get their basic needs met and survive. I also uh, thought about the shame that um, some of the victims, his victims might have felt after being um, brutally attacked and sexually assaulted. And because of being sexually assaulted and also maybe being involved in um, sex work, right. they wouldn't report it. And yeah. Little knew that. And yeah. he believed that the victims he targeted were less valuable in the eyes of society. Nobody would miss them. And his MO with the strangling thing, yeah. where he would just toy with the women, yeah. freak, is freaky. Yeah. Like he would, uh, uh, one of the victims said he would uh, put his thumb on her throat and tell her to swallow. And he liked the way it oh, felt when she was swallowing oh and then God. go unconscious. And then she'd wake up and he'd tell her to swallow again. Oh like, my God. What the yeah. fuck? Um, and he had a lot of c- close calls, but he got away with this for a long time. And uh, yeah. part of it also is his, his many aliases, Gene, his alibi. Right. Um, and the, the, the traveling a lot. Yeah. Um, he's a world cast, world class piece of basura, if you ask me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, um, you know, the, all of the victims, they were daughters, sisters, mothers, friends, and members of the community. Um, and I heard on one of a, a podcast that little believed that these people wouldn't be missed, but that wasn't true. I mean, family members were looking for these women. Yeah. Family members reported these women gone. Friends reported these women gone. So right. um, the notion that they were me- meaningless is he, he couldn't Not have true. been further, more wrong, more wrong, more wrong. Very right. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's what I got. That's yeah. my thoughts. I don't think he's probably the most prolific serial killer. Whoa. In the United States. I think there's, there's got to be other ones that we don't know about. You mentioned that yeah. in the in the doc n- numerous times. I need to know more. <laughs> we just, I mean, is there an indication that there is somebody more prolific out there act- currently just, acting or has been uh, acting Not necessarily past? currently, but I just, mm. can't be- I just can't believe that he was the only one that did this kind of thing. Okay. I, I believe there has to be other ones who were just as prolific. And you know what? I think I, I, I'm with you there, especially yeah. when you consider that inequality is so high in the yeah. United States and has been for so long. And there are a lot of people who with I mean, that's why we created Fruit Loops is these victims go completely unnoticed in yeah. the eyes of law enforcement exactly. and in the media. And you are probably right. Beth. Yeah. Oh I mean, my I, God, <laughs> that's horrifying. Yeah. But you are probably right. Yeah. Wow. So. Okay. Well, I, I'm out of here. Good night. <laughs> that's Bye. it. <laughs> Bye. That's all, folks. Wow. You're probably right. We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do. So you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to The Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way. 
So now it's time to get in how not to get murdered. So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. Um, Just another self-defense tip from Chelsea Cayenne on TikTok. TikTok? What am I? TikTok. And what to do, again, if you face a strangling situation. So um, if somebody is choking you and has their arm stretched out, actively choking you, she says to reach up real high with one arm and slam your elbow down onto their arm and put your whole body into it and be ready to throw strikes and kick so you can get away. The goal is to create distance so you can get away. But I love that karate. Chelsea Chelsea Cayenne on TikTok and Instagram. Yeah. Uh, And also a link to the video will be in the sources. Nice. Uh, So shout out time where we shout out any content by people of color, any marginalized folks by or about them or any true crime goodies. Um, did I already shout out the staircase, the scripted one I on don't HBO? Think so. I don't think so. Okay. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah, it was good. It right? is so good. Yeah. And I, d- I, at first, I thought he did it. I don't know what the conclusion is in the real life scenario, but in the scripted one, that owl theory, <laughs> I believe it a hundred percent. So, uh, um, I think it's on the prosecutors. They they um analyze the case, and I think they believe the owl theory too. Really? Yeah. Oh my god, it makes so much sense. Um. Anyway, so that is on HBO. That's a true crime goodie. Very good. The Staircase and a new podcast called. Called BFF Black Fat Femme Podcast <laughs> by um, two BFFs, Black Fat Femmes, who are also friends. They're queer, fat, black, and change makers calling in the world to examine and understand what it means to love oneself unapologetically in a world where doing so feels impossible. Yeah, yeah. It's a new podcast, but it's really, really great. Oh, and awesome. Fun. Yeah. Subscribed. Thank you. <laughs> Enjoy. So I got a true crime goodie. Um, okay. It's the girl in the picture on Netflix. Okay. It's a true crime goodie because it's a bunch of white people. Um, oh, okay. But the story is fucking nuts. Really? <laughs> You're going to love it. Yeah. I am? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well. The girl in the picture on Netflix. I can always <laughs> sleep next week. Yeah. I'm going to watch it tonight. All right. <laughs> also, the Orville is finally back with a season three on Hulu. The popcorn guy? No, <laughs> it's a it's kind of a comedy sci-fi show. It's, okay, it's like um, Star Trek with comedy and it's sex jokes. <laughs> oh, fun! Yeah, it's it's, on- it's a really fun show. Okay. I'm on it. Oh, yeah. I also wanted to shout out um, The Fall Line. Um, they did three episodes on just the victims uh, of Sam Little. Oh, okay. Um, wow. And uh, they uh, are in The Fall Line feed from June of 2021. Okay, cool. So um, check that out. So that's The Staircase on HBO, HBO Max, the BFF uh, podcast, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. The Girl in the Picture on Netflix and Orville on Hulu, as well as The Fall Line, The Victims of Sam Little, Parts 1, 2, and 3, wherever you get your podcast. Very cool. Boy, oh boy, this was a bear of a, a case. Yeah, it was. Um, But uh, that's all for today, folks. So, Beth, where can the people find us in the meantime? Our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. Join our discussion group on Facebook at Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App or you can become a monthly patron through Patreon. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. And as always, we have merch for sale on our website. That's right. Now, this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there.
Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? (coughs) Or just a horrible accident? (coughs) That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave four-year vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags, because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Twenty-four hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con.